Good morning. Good to be here this morning, and we're certainly uh, blessed to still enjoy the freedom of being able to gather together and worship God and praise Him freely and, uh, and be blessed by that. Just want to mention to you uh, some things you may not be aware of. Uh, Ruby Rozier has uh, passed away this last week, and um, and uh, the funeral service, but it's just going to be a family, uh, just a private family service. It'll be 10 o'clock tomorrow. Um, the Roser family has a long-standing history and relationship to this church and this community. So um, keep, keep them in your prayers. Uh, Jan Thompson is going to have surgery on Tuesday on one leg, and then they're going to work on the other one later, I guess. Is that correct? Is that? Okay. Jan, you will be in our prayers. It's this Tuesday. Uh, Susie Weatherly, for those of you who know Susie, and she, uh, uh, this last week, uh, her great, her niece and her great niece, I live in California, and uh, the, was taking the uh, younger, her niece, her, uh, to college in uh, uh, 18-wheeler, uh, I guess, crossed the median, there was a head-on, it killed both of them, and uh, anyway, Susie's heart really heavy. Obviously, you need to keep her in your prayers. Donna Lester had uh, what amounts to, she had a UTI, but then she had, in relationship to that, and I don't know how that works, she had what they believe is a mild stroke, and she spent a night in the hospital. She's well taken care of. She's home. Uh, her daughter is with her, and their uh, spirits are good. She's feeling better. Um, and uh, But yet, we just keep Donna in your prayers and Susie and Obviously, Jay and the Roser family. Uh, Bobby Curtin had surgery this week. He's fine. He's home. He's recovering. And so all those folks, just uh, please remember them in your prayers. I'm going to go back to uh, that just a short section of that passage in Genesis chapter 50 uh, that Larry read. At the end, um, this, when the brothers are speaking to, to Joseph in verse 17, they say, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you. Please forgive, I beg you. Uh, the transgression of your brothers, they're reminding, uh, the brothers reminding what his father had said to him uh, before his passing, and their sin, for they, they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of, of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? He said, I'm not God. And as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So we've been in this study together over the last several weeks and about the will of God. And if you'll look at your handout, uh, just very quickly, I'm not going to spend much time recapping that. But the premise of this study was that our single biggest conflict as we live, our single biggest conflict is our will versus God's will. Just about everything that takes place in our life that we find ourselves in conflict with it's our will versus God's will. And so it's the source of our conflict. And as a Christian who has been saved, been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then in conflict, my flesh is always at conflict with the Spirit of Christ that is in me. Uh, my, my, the goal, the perseverance, 
the direction, the path that my life should be in is or on and in is this, I just want to do God's will. Whatever it takes, no matter what's happening in my life, I want to do God's will. And it's difficult. We know it is. And so the scripture speaks very clearly about that. That's been the emphasis of this series. Uh, so how does that happen? Talked about that. And then this, where we're at now, that scriptural spiritual application of these statements. And the first one out of Romans chapter 12 is just present yourself. Make the daily, really I think not just daily, but moment by moment, maybe second by second, no matter the circumstances in my life, have the mind, the heart, the spirit, and the body that says, you know what, this isn't my life, it's his, and I'm going to present myself to him as a holy and sacrifice acceptable to God. That's number one. You live there, you start there, you grow from there, you're in a good place. The second is become obedient slaves of Christ. You read that second chapter of Philippians, have this same attitude that was evident in Christ Jesus, that although he did not, although he did not exist in the form of God, considered himself, he, he made himself as a slave. He became humble to the point of death, obedient to the point of a slave. And so become obedient slaves of Christ. And then this morning, the title that I would say that I have given this is the one true reality. So I'm just going to ask you and the challenges this morning, if I ask you or if your children ask you, maybe a best friend ask you, what is the reality of your life? We did this with the youth group this morning, but what's the reality of your life? Tell me your reality. You say, well, I'm married. That's a reality. Okay, I'm married. A married person, his reality is, uh, or her reality is going to be different than a single person. Maybe the reality of your life is your divorce. Maybe the reality of your life is you're single. Whatever it is, it could be several different applications to that. Uh, grandparent, parents, child, whatever it is. There's kind of a starting point. Um, it could apply to your health. The reality of your health is you could be struggling. Um, that's a reality. Our physical condition, our health is, is, is the reality of our existence and how we live. All these things affect us. So if I just ask you, what's the reality of your life? You've got to pay bills. You've got to pay taxes. Well, they say the two certain things are taxes and death. So the reality is I've got to pay bills. And depending on the quality of life that I want to live, uh, you know, that's going to determine maybe the level of education I get, the application that I do, the level of work that I do, the number of hours that I work, who I work for, uh, just how important is even the pursuit of our life just to just get stuff, I guess. You know, maybe we're going to find that stuff is going to give us happiness, and the reality is though we do work, and we've got vehicles, and we've got bills to pay, and and families to support. We've got to support ourselves. So that's just simple. That's the reality of your life. So now an extension of that, Christian, you're trying to live in a world in your flesh with the spiritual knowledge, the intellectual knowledge, the emotional goal, the physical uh, obedience to, I want to be obedient to God. I want to present myself to him. I want to be, be obedient to the point of slave. I want, I want to do his will. That's the goal of my life. And so 
in relationship to that, though, here I am. I'm just living. I'm married. Got kids. I got bills to pay. Um, getting older. Body's wearing out. Whatever the reality may be. The challenge then takes on a struggle. It's, I've used this passage so many times. In, uh, it's out of the seventh chapter of Romans where Paul says, why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? The good that I would do, I find that I cannot do. I find then that the principle of evil dwells within me, the one who wishes to do good. He would call himself a wretched man. Oh, wretched man. Oh, I'm a wretched man. But thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he would conclude in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Therefore now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But he exemplifies the struggle. My flesh versus the spirit. My will versus God's will. And so back to that premise of a reality. Go to a second chapter of Philippians. Second chapter of Philippians, the one true reality. Whatever the reality is in our life, it's determining our, our level of happiness, our level of sadness, what we spend our money on, what we spend our time on, whatever the reality is. If you're a college student, whatever it is, that reality uh, has this umbrella effect financially, emotionally, effort, all those things. So Paul makes this statement right after he's, all these wonderful verses about, uh, you know, that second chapter, beginning of verse three, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And so this great passage, and by the way, that second chapter, those verses, it was called the Christ hymn. That these Verses here in the second chapter of Philippians uh, in the first century were penned in the form of a hymn, and it was called the Christ hymn. And so and when he gets to verse 11, and he makes this statement about, verse 10 says, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow uh, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Then he makes this statement. Here's the statement. So then, beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. trembling. And in verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Read that again. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, that statement, all by itself, is the one true reality. Now, I'm going to challenge you. The scripture issues the challenge. How many of you wake up in the morning, consciously, intellectually, emotionally, and even physically, spiritually, with with this statement as the foundation and the motivation that then would control all of your thought processes and actions during the course of your day. Seriously. You wake up in the morning. I'm hungry. Now you need something to eat. All the kids they have. 
I said, what's the first thing you do in the morning? Well, I get up. I got to use the restroom. I got to make my bed. You know, I'm hungry. What am I going to eat? Just simple things. And we're some, to some extent, but if you own a business or if you have a job or if you're a college student or, you know, you, listen, we've got a wide array of people out here um, in different aspects, different places in your life, okay? So when you wake up in the morning, what are you thinking about? Are you, the day's going to start. What's your thought process? What's consuming your thinking? What is it that's driving your emotions? Do you wake up with joy in your heart? Are you stressed? Do you wake up, boy, I don't want to go to work today, you know? Is there some unfinished business in your life that, that just continues to haunt you? Or maybe not even haunt you, just maybe there's deadlines and there's stress. I just, this is what I have to do today. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it, or this is how we're going to do it. And I have to depend on these people and whatever it may be. School teacher, business owner, employee, doesn't matter what it is. You and I wake up every morning, even a middle school, high school kid, things are pretty simple for them, uh, even to the really more complex. And then as we get into the older stages of our life, uh, it may be you wake up in the morning and say, boy, I just hope I don't hurt today. Or what is the doctor appointments that I have to go to today? But the circumstances in our life dictate when we wake up our thought processes and our emotional being. It just does. It's going to be a good day. Oh, I don't want to. Oh. oh, this is not going to be a good day. And it's and those thoughts and that event of daily living is it's conditioned and it's controlled by whatever the reality of your life is. Good or bad. You have good days, you got bad days. And then all the days in between. But what if you woke up every morning, and then as you woke up, you lived through the course of the day, and you ended your day on one, the one, true reality. And here it is. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, park there for a minute. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. And no matter the circumstances in my life, no matter what I think the reality is, it's a hard day. It's a tough day. I hate my job. There's conflict in my life. I'm not happy about this. There's goals to be met. There's not enough hours in the day. I'm not feeling good. The body's wearing out. Whatever it is. What if you could condition yourself spiritually, intellectually, emotionally, and then physically on the one true reality, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work out his good pleasure. Now, you don't leave there. You start there, and you don't leave there. We just read that story. Larry read that story, that, that last chapter in the book of Genesis. I'm not going to recap the story of Joseph. And by the way, if you do know the story, he had uh, his father made him a coat of many colored. Uh, I had a great visit this morning. I, uh, uh, Grace Kenenbrink showed up at our house this morning. I was already ready for church, and, and she brought me a shirt of many colors. And uh, I was, it's interesting because I don't believe in coincidence because Joseph and his life and 
where that started. And uh, just a little footnote to that. I don't know. It was probably about two, 2013 or 14 or 15. Tammy and I had gone to uh, Cody Wildman and they got the night rodeo there. And, and the pickup men were wearing tie-dye Wrangler shirts. I've been looking for one for ever since. And I mentioned something to Grace. And Grace showed up. I think she had Lindsay Roberson. She made one for her dad and one for me. And tie-dye these shirts. So this is my Joseph shirt. But uh, so when you look at the life of Joseph, though, and and where he was at and what was happening in his life. And I don't know how familiar you are with that story, but God gave him a vision. And in the vision, his brothers would bow down to him. And, uh, and his brothers were jealous. And, and they conspired against him, and they were going to kill him. And then the, Reuben said, no, let's not kill him. So they put him in a pit. Uh, a caravan's going by, a foreign caravan. We'll sell him into slavery. And then they took that jacket of many colors and they put some blood on it and they go home and they tell their dad, uh, Joseph's been sold into slavery. Well, he was killed. His dad lived with that burden for many years and that sadness and that grieving. And if you know the story, he, you know, he ends up in a foreign land in Egypt and he goes to work for a guy named Potiphar and Potiphar's wife uh, made advances to him. He was a young man, maybe 17, 18 years of age. Uh, he, did, he refused those advances. She lied about him. He spent 13 years in prison, 13 years. Remember, he had a dream. In that dream, God had said, your brothers are going to bow down to you. Now, I don't know how <laughs> significant the memory of that Dream was 13 years, day after day after day after day in a foreign prison. I, I can't imagine him revisiting that dream and saying, you know what? I, 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 maybe he thought, I don't know. Maybe I was delusional. Maybe I misread it. Maybe, maybe the problem is, I don't know. But 13 years in a foreign prison, estranged from your family, your brothers conspired against you to kill you. They sell you into slavery. And then God does, in fact, give him the ability to interpret dreams and visions. And if you know the story, he actually gets out of prison. And, and uh, I'm just doing the footnotes here, the cliff notes. Uh, and he, he rises second in power only to Pharaoh. And, and at one point, uh, he tells Pharaoh he had this dream. There's going to be seven years of great just abundance. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. And so we need to, we need to store our grain and store it and, and store it up in great storehouses preparing for that. It happened. The famine occurs. And what happens? All the nations surrounding, they have to come to Egypt. And Egypt has stored up this great abundance. And one day, one day, his sniveling brothers show up. Now, this would have been somewhere around 30 years after they sold him into slavery. He knew who they were. They didn't know who he was. Eventually, the whole family comes to Egypt, and then the father dies, and that's the passage we read this morning. But the one true reality in Joseph's life was at the end of his life, in the position of power, in the ability to extract vengeance he would say what man intended for evil God intended for good I don't know how much suffering you've had to endure in your life I don't know how much betrayal you've had to endure in your life I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like Joseph has experienced but I know that each 
one of us, there's a personal event, circumstances that are taking place in our life. But you and I are Christians. And because we're Christians, something has happened. And what has happened is God has saved us. Only according to his will. He, he looked down and he said, Don Kellenbrink, I'm going to save you. And there's nothing you could have done to change that. God made a judgment about your heart, and he said, Don Kellenbrink, I'm going to save you. And you were saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, so that you couldn't boast. We're not born of, uh, of flesh. We're, not born, we're only born by the will of God, John in chapter 1. Ephesians in chapter 2, you're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself. God makes a decision. He's going to save you. And there's nothing that can stop that. It's irresistible. And then when he saves us, Romans in chapter 5, he says that the love of God is poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit. And then we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with that. It's a promise. And if you're saved, that's who you are. And, and, and yet, even in that setting, there's a reason that Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st uh, and 2nd Thessalonians, all those, the, Jesus addressing the seven churches in Asia Minor, there was a reason all those New Testament church, uh, letters were written. And that's because the people that were saved by grace through faith, that not of themselves, so that no, not a one of them could boast, sealed with the Holy Spirit, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts in chapter 2, those that would repent, confess, having their sins forgiven, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, every one of those people still were struggling. And so you have all these New Testament churches, mission work is being accomplished, the book of Acts, 35 years, and we see the ministry of Peter, the ministry of Paul. Churches are being established all over Asia Minor. And it doesn't take very long that all those churches are a mess. Gandhi, when he was asked about Christianity, he said, I don't have a problem with your Savior. I do not have a problem with your Christ. My problem is with that bloody thing he drags behind him called the church. If you go to Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 6, in Acts chapter 2 it says they had all things in common. In Acts chapter 6, they're fighting over whose widows are getting fed first. The church is a mess. And the reason it's a mess, well, it's spiritual warfare. But the real reason, or the, the fertilizer for spiritual warfare is our own personal pride and selfishness. And, and the problem with that is our pride and our flesh and our selfishness has a whole lot of realities that have nothing to do with the one true reality. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Joseph got it. What man intended for evil, God intended for good, that's the one true reality in my life. 
Job would say it in chapter 19, in verse 25, he would say, let me tell you, I know what's happening in my life, I know what's going on in my life, but I want you to know there's a greater truth. Now, if you go to chapter 2 of Job or chapter 1 of Job, after all the terrible things that happened to him, in verse 20 he says, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, he fell to the ground and worshipped. Satan was allowed to run rampant in his life. Took his wealth, his children, and his health. And so at that point, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin. In chapter 19, you go to chapter 19, and he makes this great statement in chapter 19. Oh, that my words were written on that day. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the, at the last he'll take his stand on the earth, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. That is a one, one true reality. There's just a couple. Now, so, going back to you and I. A good friend of Paul Jenkins passed away from the COVID virus. and I had seen Johnny at Brit's, Paul's brother's funeral, uh, just several weeks ago. It's been over a month now. And Johnny was the picture of health, 59 years old. Uh, he had been struggling with bronchitis through the year. I just couldn't get rid of this bronchitis. But I saw him at the funeral, and next thing I know, he's in Corpus. He's got a plumbing business. He lives in San Antonio, and he's got COVID. And this is Paul's best friend, and I've known Johnny for probably close to 30 years myself. This is a good man. So the last conversation is they put him in the hospital in Corpus. The last words that Johnny spoke to um, Paul was, it's going to be God's way, and either way, I win. It's going to be God's way, and any way, I win. The same letter where Paul makes this statement, the one true reality, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. He, he backs that up. He makes this statement in verse 21 of chapter 1. He says, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to part and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Again, you and I. You wake up in the morning. I was, uh, heard a song this week. Uh, it, it's a George Strait song. And, and he, 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 he and his wife had a fight. He goes to the bar, and he's right next to this guy at the bar. And uh, they're talking, and, and the guy says, I hate my life. He says, I hate my life. 
And the song may even be tired, I don't know, but it's, I hate my life. I hate everything about my life. He said, if I didn't have children with my wife, I'd hate my wife. She divorced him. It's a terrible, sweet, classic country song. I hate my life. And uh, I thought to myself, how many of us live our life on the basis of a reality that's not based upon it's God who's at work in my life, both to will and work to his good pleasure. Because if you don't, you're going to hate your life. And at the very least, you could be delusional into thinking that you have a good life, and I've seen this, and this is completely sad. And remember, we are the ones that have been saved, sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. There's another reality, uh, people who live delusionally. I mean, Scripture says they so love the lie that God gave them a powerful delusion. And I've seen that. That they think everything's okay, and then the end of their life comes, and, and, and it's so sad as a minister, they say, you know, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Been, been attending church my whole life, thought I was saved. That's heartbreaking. And before Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he makes this statement in verse 12. I want you to know, brethren, chapter 1, that my circumstances have turned out for the, pro the greater progress of the gospel. You know, you know what our single biggest problem is as Christians who've been sealed with the Holy Spirit? We don't believe that. Because our realities are mixed up. They're earthly realities versus the one true reality. You know what Satan wants you and I to be? More than anything. We say sinful. Okay. I would say that that's certainly a condition. But God's grace is greater than our sin. But you know the most important thing that Satan wants for you and I? For you and I to be self-important. For you and I to be self-important. He wants you and I to be self-important. He, he loves it when, when somebody says, I did this. Yeah, I did this. We, yeah. Well, I was able to do, well, I'm going to do this. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke about a wealthy man. And he looks out and he says, you know what? I'm going to build more silos and more plants. I'm going to increase my livestock and my land holdings and my stuff. And then it's, I'm going to look out upon everything I've got and say, man, it's good. And the scripture says, you fool, this very night your life is going to be required of you. See, as, as long as Satan it, it can appeal to your pride and your ego and your sense of self, then he makes us self-important. And when we become self-important, the one true reality in our life is me, mine, what I do, what I've done, what I'm going to do, and how I'm going to do it. And there'll never be enough. The desires of the eyes cannot be fulfilled. And just like Solomon, it'll all be vanity. 
But as long as he can get us to be self-important, the realities in our life will always be false realities. And they'll create stress. And they'll create divorce. And they'll create depression. And they'll they'll create gossip and envy and pride and anger. And they'll create self-offense. Oh my God, I'm so offended. Somebody did this to me and they did this to me. Oh my God, how dare you do this and how do you do that? That is a reality that's based upon a self-importance. It's called an ego. Could you imagine had Jesus Christ had that? Could you imagine he said, in the garden, praying, sweat becomes like blood. This is not my will, but your will be done. He could have called 10,000 angels. He said, but I came to do my Father's will. Church, have you come into the presence of God to do your Father's will? Is the one true reality in your life is that just like Joseph and just like Job, it doesn't matter what's happened. Just like Paul, he's a prisoner when he writes this. Paul would say, look, I'm in prison. I'm a Roman citizen. My rights have been violated. People are lying and conspiring against me. Don't worry about it. There's one true reality. And that is my imprisonment is is something's happened. The gospel is being progressed. Jake, I got to see you play football Friday night. What a blessing. Braz is Christian. I just don't believe any coincidence at any time for any reason because of one true reality. And, and, and you're just watching all the busyness and all the stuff and you got referees and coaches and football players and students and moms and dads and grandmas and girlfriends. It's just happening. It's a great event. It's a wonderful community. And you're there. And then, so the scripture says, whatever you do in word and deed, you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Friday night football. I love it. I just think it's something that's wonderful. One of the great experiences in my life was to be able to play and then to be able to coach. And I remember in Abilene, Texas, and little towns like Rochester, Blackwell, and Trent, and all these wonderful little West Texas towns on a Friday night, you're out there, you're coaching football, and you're there, and it's a beautiful West Texas night, and man, the sun's going down, and the flag's up, and the national anthem's playing, and, and you line up, and everybody gets there, and you blow that whistle, and boom, it's great. And, and the temptation is, it, it can be... So seductive. A lot of testosterone. A lot of pride, community pride. A lot of passion. For me, the great thing about coaching football was it was an opportunity to use the game of football to teach these young men about Jesus Christ and Him crucified because of one true reality. It doesn't matter whether it's on a football field. It doesn't matter if, 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 you're, if, you're, if you're a plumber, a farmer, a rancher. You work at Texas A&M, a high school student, a junior high. It doesn't matter. It, it, wherever, wherever you're at and whatever you do and word and deed you do in the name of the Lord, you don't like your job? Change your reality. You don't like your husband and wife? Change your reality. I don't mean get a divorce. Start loving that wife the way Christ loved the church. Because there's one true reality. You don't like it. Start, listen, honor that husband the way Christ, 
you would Christ the, the church. Change your reality. It's not an Oprah reality. It's not a Dr. Phil reality. It's, it's none of that. It's a Jesus Christ and them crucified reality. Because his reality, we just saw it in the story of Joseph, was I'm gonna, I, I need to preserve a lot of people. I need to preserve a lot of people. Jake, you can bring honor to God on that football field. In a, in a testosterone-driven, secular, macho world. You can do it as a bull rider, a football player. You can do it as a housewife. You can do it anywhere and in life. You can do it. But you'll only do it is if you adopt the same reality that Paul had. And that is the one true reality about doing the will of God and my struggle against doing the will of God is that it is God. It's God who is at work in you, both the will and work for his good pleasure. When you start walking in that truth, the burdens of this world, these said, hey, again, I don't believe in coincidence. I've listened to that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I've listened to it 20 times this week, more than any other song. Had no idea. When you, when you turn your eyes to him, something happens. The things of this world grow strangely dim because your reality changes. And you quit thinking, me, 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 me. And you start thinking, him, 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 him. The one true reality. For it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's your good pleasure? I would, I would never want to trust you working in my life, we give a lot of power to people. We trust employees or employers or family members or we give a lot of power to them. We, we, we trust them, the work that they're doing in our life. And then if you had to, to work for their good pleasure, what, who's power? Who, would you give that power to anybody you know? We do. The problem is, what is our good pleasure? Man's righteousness, Isaiah in chapter 66, is like a filthy rag unto God. Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you being bad fathers, you wouldn't give a snake to your son. In lieu of bread, well, God, how much more God? The best that we can do, the best that we can do, the best that I can do working in somebody's life according to my will for my good pleasure is not very good. It's just not. But the Lord, our Father, the God of all creation, when he does his work in his will in your life for our good pleasure, that's where it is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And just like Joseph understood, listen, what man intended for evil, God intended for good because a whole lot of people were going to be saved. So I challenge you this week, 
if you're struggling with doing the will of God. Take the biblical, scriptural, spiritual challenge of living under the one true reality. For it's God who is at work. And His will is to accomplish something in your life that brings Him pleasure and blesses you and I and everybody that we come in contact with. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just give you praise and honor this morning. Father, my prayer is that you would teach us, you reveal to us in in your word and in your spirit, you grow in us, Father, um, this desire to live under only that reality, that it's you who is at work in our lives, working and willing to shape us and change us to your good pleasure. And it is in the name of your good pleasure, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.